Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, hey, it's great to be with you today, church. So happy and privileged to be speaking today. Uh, but I'm gonna start off today with a question for you. So I need you, to, I need you to engage and participate with me. I want you to think about uh, what does your dream life look like? What's your dream life look like? Where do you live? How much money do you have? What kind of car do you drive? Like what are the circumstances? Think about what your dream life looks like. When I uh, am stressed and I need to go to my happy place and I'm thinking about what my dream life uh, looks like, there is uh, uh, usually there's there's beaches, uh, there is endless relaxation. I have my beautiful wife and my wonderful kids, uh, and my kids don't know what the word fight even means. They're happy all the time. Uh, They're they're getting along all the time. It's a crisp 65 degrees every single day of every single moment. Uh, Never changes. Beautiful weather. Uh, Chiefs are on on a TV, winning 24-7 every single time. I mean, it's it's just like endless Chiefs victory after Chiefs victory. And my wife and I are having just just having a great time. That's those are some of the things that pop in my head when I just start imagining what does my dream life look like? And here's the reality: like we all want a great life. If we have a great life, we want a we want an even greater life. Like we all want that. And what we're saying when we say we want a great life is really what we're saying is we're saying we want joy. We want peace. We want happiness. We want to be happy. We want to be comfortable in the things that you imagine when I ask you that question, the things that I imagine. Well, I think about those things because to me, those things bring me joy. In fact, they bring me so much joy in the midst of chaos and craziness, I can stop and think about them and I can even start to feel a little, a little joy, you know, uh, just for a moment. Uh, in my heart. And so uh, we have this picture of what we want, what we want our life to be like. And uh, we, are, we, are, we are working our way through the book um, of Philippians and Paul has written this letter to the church. And, and, and we're gonna go through a text and he's gonna tell the Philippian church what he wants their life to look like. And here's, and here's what we know about Paul already because of this chapter. In fact, he says it in, the, in these verses. He, he is invested in these people. Like he cares. He wants them to have a great life. He wants them to have a fruitful life. He wants them to experience joy. In fact, one of the verses he even says that, says like, I want to be with you so that you may advance, so that you may progress in your faith and progress in your joy. So we know that Paul's not after the, uh, anything bad for them. He, w- he wants good things and he's gonna describe for them knowing this, what their life should look like. So let's, let's take a look um, at verses. Uh, we're gonna start in verse 27. And this is what he says. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, because he's in prison when he's writing this, he, he hopes to go to them, but he also, he also doesn't know. He's not all-knowing. He doesn't know if he ever will get to see them again. So he's saying that if I get to come see you, but even if I don't, I wanna hear this report of how you're living, that I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, 
striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. And we're gonna stop there. We're gonna keep going, but we're gonna pause there. When you imagined, when you imagine your great life, there may have been beaches and mountains and being surrounded by family and, and friends and, and great food, but here's probably wasn't something that wasn't in your picture. These scenarios right here that Paul says, words that require, scenarios that require words like this, stand firm, strive. Nowhere in my dream picture of my great life does the word strive exist. And having opponents probably wasn't in there either. You're probably not imagining having any opposition whatsoever in whatever life that you long for. And clearly Paul has misunderstood the goal of life, right? The purpose and goal of life is the opposite of these things. The purpose and goal of life is relaxation. It's early retirement. It's not worrying about money. It's comfort. It's ease. But this, this picture that Paul's painting for, surely this is not the life that we should long for. But let's, let's consider Paul's words for a moment. Let's Let's take a moment to unpack and really unpack even what he's really saying when he's, when he's describing this picture. And we're gonna start with the first statement, which we're really probably all okay with. Generally speaking, he says he wants them to live or to conduct themselves in a way that is worthy or honors Jesus. That's what he's saying. I want you to live in a way, in a manner that honors Jesus. And, and I don't think anyone's really gonna get fired up um, about that. Um, I mean, especially if you're a Christian, I mean, hopefully if someone came up to you and you say, hey, I'm a Christian. And if I were to come up to you and say, hey, do you want to live a life that honors Jesus? You would say, yes, absolutely. I think that would probably the general consensus. Yes. Yeah. I'd love to honor Jesus with my life. But it's the next part where Paul really gets into some stuff that's a little bit um, more tricky and, uh, and a little bit more difficult. He says, this is what, because he, he goes from here to this is what it looks like then to honor Jesus. It looks like a community of believers who are standing firm in one spirit, in one mind, striving together side by side. And there is so many statements that feel like work in that sentence. It is challenging. Standing firm in unity with one another. People, this is what he's saying. People who love one another, who, who act in such a way that they are like, I mean, he describes it in the, uh, to the Corinthian church, like the church is like a body made up of, of, of just different parts. And, and here's what we're here for. We're here to build one another up. We're here to encourage one another. We're here to listen to one another, to submit to one another and confess one another and challenge one another and confront one another. And we're to do all this in love for one another. We're to forgive one another. We have to stand firm here because we know if you live in relationships, if you live in close proximity with people, you know this is not an easy thing that he's asking us. You know the people that you have the most, pro the closest proximity with are the people that you probably have the most difficulty with because you see their good side and their bad side. You see, their, you see all the things that, that make them up and there's things that you love and there's things that really aggravate you. And he's saying, hey, you gotta, see, you gotta be together. You gotta see the good and the bad and you got to stand firm because there are things that are gonna wanna divide you. 
There are, there are lies that are going to come. There are distractions. There are circumstances that, that it's going to want to divide the church. But he says, stand firm. Stand firm with one another. Be vulnerable with one another. Don't give up on one another. And you know that when this doesn't happen, because oftentimes it doesn't, be willing to forgive one another. And Paul's not saying this because he is ignorant of how imperfect the church is. I mean, Paul had his fair share of difficulties and issues to deal with in the church. I mean, he had to deal with things like racism. He had to deal with Christians believing they're better than others, gossip, slander, uh, people turning on him, uh, turning against him, uh, people lying about him. He had to deal with sexual misconduct. I mean, he had to deal with Paul had to deal with a litany of issues with the church. So he's aware, he's not ignorant that this isn't an easy task. But yet he says it, he says, stand firm. Stand firm, one spirit, one mind, strive together, be together. He wants us to fight for unity. He wants to hear, even if he's not with him, he wants to hear how the church loves one another and in doing so, honors God. You know, in Paul's passion for the church, his passion for unity may inspire us. We may be thinking, yeah, like we can, sometimes we read scripture and we're like, yes, yes, we should do that. I should be that way. I should live that way. And we, we can kind of, we can feel this emotional, um, you know, passion rise up within us and we can be inspired to live this way. And, uh, and, and if it stopped there, maybe we could but he doesn't stop there. And this is where, and and, and here's Paul's gonna go from, hey, this uh, probably a challenging thing he says to us to next level. Like this is really next level. Verse 29, he says, for it has been granted to you. That sounds good, granted to you. Sounds good. For the sake of Christ, you should not only believe, hallelujah, in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged, in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. Paul is having conflict. The church is experiencing conflict and opposition. And he says to them, you've been granted belief and you have been granted suffering. What? Like, if we could have just stopped with belief, we would have been okay, right? It has been great. When he says it's been granted to you, it's been revealed to you that Jesus is the Christ, that you, the uh, belief has been granted to you. That, that's like an amazing thing. We love that. We love having faith. We love the idea that even though we didn't deserve it or we didn't earn it, that God gave us faith in Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's granted us faith. He, re- he reiterates this in uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. He says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is not your own doing, not even the faith that you have. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. We have been granted faith. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. We, don't, we didn't earn it. We don't lose it. It is something given to us by God out of his amazing grace and mercy on us. If you have faith in Jesus, God has shown you his goodness by granting you faith in Jesus. And this is amazing. This is wonderful. It's a free gift. But here's, and this, but this is what he says. 
Paul says, you have been granted for the sake of Christ to not only believe, but also to suffer for his sake. If you believe Jesus, if you believe in Jesus as the son of God, if, if you believe in him as the one true king, you have been granted belief and you have been granted the opportunity to suffer. And this is really, really challenging for us because, I mean, those two words just don't even go together. To be granted something and suffering, right? I mean, they, they just, they don't, we, we're granted good things. We're granted faith. You know, students are granted scholarships. Like when we're granted something, we're granted access or freedom. It ends with something good. But here is the word suffering. And that is really, that's really what's really difficult. So we, and this is what Paul's saying. He's saying this, look, as a community, you got to stand firm with one another. It honors God. In the midst of opposition, stand firm. It honors God. He says, strive with one another. So it's not just holding the line, but it's advancing. It's moving forward together. And that honors God. And then he goes in the next level and suffer well. Suffer well. That honors God. You know, when you thought about your dream life, uh, I did not. When I think about my dream life, I don't think about suffering and I would hedge a bet that you don't either. I mean, suffering is the opposite side of the spectrum. It's, it's, it's the complete, complete opposite, just like the other words about striving and it's, it feels like work. Like these are all words that don't belong in this life, in this picture that we want, but here it is. I mean, suffering just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit next to, next to me next to me on the beach with my wife. There's not a place for it. But here it is in scripture. It's placed right next to the belief that we're thankful for as something that we get to do. And this is really not easy. This is really not easy. There are, I know there are people in our church who are suffering greatly right now, who will have a great amount of pain who are experiencing a great amount of difficulty. And I know this is not an easy statement that Paul makes. You know, somehow, even though Paul suffered, you know, writing this letter from one of his multiple imprisonments, even though the church suffered over and over and over again, you know what my reality is, is when I suffer, when I, if I'm honest, like, even though suffering is everywhere in all places and all through scripture, when I suffer, there's something in me that rises up and just feels like this is not the way it's meant to be. Like I should not be experiencing this. This isn't fair. It doesn't belong. And then, you know, I actually can begin to question God way too easily than I'd like to admit. It's not easy to suffer well. It's not easy to honor God through our suffering. How in the world are we supposed to do this? How are we ever able to be these kinds of people who have such unity when we feel so divided? How are we to honor Jesus with this kind of life, rejoicing 
when in the good times and rejoicing when it's really, really, really hard. Here's the bottom line. You can't do it. I can't do it. We can't be these kinds of people in and out of season. I mean, we can't go out in the world and and try harder and simply choose to be these kinds of people. Like I said, we might get inspired for a moment and we might say, yes, like we'll go do this. Like, yes, we're gonna live this way. Yes, we're gonna suffer well and we're gonna be kind to one another and yada, yada, yada. Like we could say it and we can build ourselves up and maybe for a season, maybe for a stretch, but we each have a breaking point. We each have a point where we can burn out There's only so much disagreement we can take. There's only so many Facebook posts blasting our, our point of view. There's, there's only so much striving, only so much one anothering, only so much grumbling and discontent. There is only so much suffering that we can do before we're tired, before we're grumpy, before we're over it. And the reality is, is most of us, if we did, if we thought, yes, we're just gonna go do this and we're gonna put this on, thank you, Paul, like I'm gonna go live this way now, most of us would fail before we got out the door. Most of us, you know, most of us are gonna have a thought, we're gonna have an action, we're gonna have a word with our kids, we're gonna pass a judgment on a neighbor, like there is something that is gonna throw us off. Here's the truth. We need a savior. We need Jesus. We needed a savior to save us, to forgive us from our sin, to take our punishment on the cross so that we may have a pathway to not only be forgiven, but to have increasing revelation and increasingly experience the freedom from sin and the effects of sin in our life. Like what Jesus did for the cross is a finished work. It's done once and for all, but he, he didn't just do something and disappear. He, let, he sent his spirit to be with us. He resides with us. And what he wants from us is to experience a relationship with him where we're walking with him and engaged with him and falling in love with him. And we are with him through it all, through the good and the bad, the difficult and the easy. He wants to be with us. And if we back up a few verses from where we started, then what we get to witness is we get to really witness Paul's heart. And we need to hear his heart because we kind of walk through the picture of how he wants them to live. But what's necessary is for us to see where Paul's heart is. And this is gonna help us to understand this. And this will help us if we can line our hearts, align our hearts with where Paul directs us and leads us, then we can experience this life. And this is what he says. I am hard pressed between the two. What is he hard pressed between, the, what, between two things? My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Why? Why does he want to continue with the church? For your progress and joy in the faith. Remember, remember at the beginning of this, I told you, Paul is invested in the church. He's not, he's not here to lay a heavy hand on him. He is invested in them experiencing progress and deeper joy and deeper faith. That's what he's invested in. And so what he's saying here is he's saying, I'm torn. I want to be with Christ. 
I want to be face to face with Jesus. I long for it. I want to be standing with the saints and the angels singing hallelujah, glorifying Jesus, the son of God. That's where Paul's heart is. He wants to touch his feet and he wants to hear his voice. But he says, I want to be with his church too. I want to be with you too. I see how serving you is fruitful. I see how Jesus is working through you. I see how he is using you to create a testimony to honor him. And I know I must remain to stay with you, the beautiful bride of Christ for your progress and for your joy. See, Paul was captivated by Jesus. He was enthralled with Jesus. He loved Jesus. He delighted in Jesus more than anyone and anything this world could offer him. This is why Paul, in the face of such issues with the church, could love so radically because the church was an extension of Jesus. It wasn't Jesus over here and the church over here trying to get it all right. He knew this. He said, like I said in Corinthians, he describes the church as a body. But in that same passage, he says, Jesus is the head. It's one. Jesus in the church, head and body, it is one. The church was an extension of Jesus. So to love Jesus is to love his church. You can't have one without the other. To love the church is to love Jesus. It is synonymous together because they are one. Love is not ever contingent in, from a Christian standpoint, not ever contingent on performance. Paul didn't love the church because the church performed well. Just the same way that Jesus didn't love Paul because Paul performed well. No, it's not contingent on performance. The love is rooted in relationship. And you can't separate Jesus from his church any more than you can separate Paul, or sorry, you can't, any more than you can separate Jesus from God can't do it. Paul didn't desire to depart because he is weary of this world. He's not saying, oh, to be with Christ because he's saying, I'm so tired of you. I'm so worn out with dealing with your guys' problems. When I say, Jesus, come home. Come on, Jesus, come on back. It's time. Or take me home. When those, those expressions and thoughts pop up, you know what we're saying? We're saying, we're tired. Guys, we're worn out. We're worn out of these circumstances, these situations. We are, we are ready for the next thing, but that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying if he's gonna live, he's gonna be so invested in the church because it's an extension of who Jesus is. And he knows that when he serves the church and invests and in the, the, the church becomes more beautiful and when it's more beautiful, more people come to know Jesus. It's his heartbeat. He's not worn out. No, he is invested. He is engaged. He says he's torn between the two because, but in both situations, he gets to love and honor Jesus. And I'm gonna come back to a question that we started with. Do you want a great life? Do you want a great life, a life full of joy, a life full of purpose and contentment? Do you want a life that honors Jesus? Do you want a great life? Then know this if you do, or at least you gotta answer, you have to answer these questions. In light of this, see, Paul is able to live this way because of the love that he has for Jesus. So that means we gotta ask ourselves, who do we love most? Who do we love most? Who do you love most? What do you love most? 
you try to live the life Paul lays out without falling in love with Jesus, without delighting in Jesus, without resting in Jesus, without enjoying his presence and his comfort that provides peace, that surpasses understanding in the midst of suffering, to know his presence in the midst of suffering, to know that he is with you, he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, to know that this is temporary and there is an eternal and right now he is bottling every tear, but one day there will be no tears. See, when we fall in love with Jesus, we gain that perspective. We sit in that reality and it allows us and it enables us to live the life that Paul is challenging and calling the church to live. Jesus isn't cold and distant. He weeps when we weep. He mourns when we mourn. He is with us. We need him. We need to be with him. We need to fall in love with him. And if we have allowed ourselves to fall in love with something else, if we have allowed something else to take his place, we need to reorient ourselves. We need to reposition ourselves because he's given you a story. You have a story that he desires for you to use to honor him because of your great love for him because he, and he wants you to love him because he so loves you. This is Paul's desire. This is what we want. Church, what grand thing can we ever dream about? Could we ever picture that would be better than seeing people who don't know Jesus come to faith and to believe in Jesus, to go from death to life, darkness to light, to see his miraculous power at work, setting people free from the enslavement and the false promise of comfort in this world. That, that picture that we have of comfort, it is, it is an illusion. If we had it, we would be over it and ready for the next thing. And this is, why Paul's, this is what Paul wants us to see. He wants us to see us have a joy that goes deeper than that. And he wants us to know that when we live this way, other people will experience this joy. As we've tasted it, we have seen it. We have seen the transforming power of work of God in people's life. And what better thing is that? What better thing could we give ourselves to, to live in such a way and to love God in such a way that it causes our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members to lean in and say, why? How do you have joy in this situation? How do you have peace? What is going on here so that we can point and let them know about Jesus so that they might come in they themselves might hear the good news and come into God's family. I want you to do something for me today. I want you to take a moment and I want you to reflect on a couple questions. Reflect on what it is you love. Reflect on what it is your life point to. Sometimes we, it's a hard thing to even discern what's in our heart that we love, but then we could look at our life. What is our life pointing to? What is it reflecting? Your life, your life is meant to be a reflection of Jesus. Are you enjoying and delighting in Jesus? Are you, have, are, you, are, you, are you enjoying him, being with him, experiencing his presence? Are you in his word and in prayer? This is why we gather and we pray. This is why, are, are you in community? Are you encouraging one another? And I just wanna end with this while you reflect on these questions, because this is what, this is the trap of the enemy is the enemy wants to come in because we are, we are all off. I am off. And when, we, when I reflect on this, there's always something that I need to adjust. 
And the enemy loves to come in and he loves to bring shame and condemnation and point out how you're a failure and I'm a failure and never gonna be good enough. And you just need to say to that, yes and amen, I am never good enough. But that's not why God loves me. His word says his mercy is new every day. So if we're sinning, if we have gotten off course, guess what? We get to repent and he's forgiven us. He has made available to you and me right now in this moment, access to a joyful, wonderful, rich life and relationship with him. So don't let the enemy come in and distract you and discourage you. Celebrate God's goodness and his faithfulness to you in your life. Let's be a church that puts every effort into honoring him by falling even more in love with him today and tomorrow and next week.